I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. Winding down Proverbs, I uh, enjoy again, I enjoy these so much. And I will say again, Proverbs is the whole Bible condensed. It is the whole Bible condensed. And this is one of those that Jesus referred to. Uh, and I believe it's the book of Matthew. I can't for sure, one of the Gospels. That uh, it's uh, Proverbs 27 and 1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And Jesus talked about that the planning, you know, whether the Lord will or not, will do this on the morrow. Uh, he goes on and talks about sufficient to the days of evil thereof. So, you know, we, we talk about tomorrow and the plans that we have for it. And this is the Amplified. Do not boast of yourself in tomorrow, for you know not what a day may bring forth. So sometimes we boast. Now, I, I want to clarify something as you're seated. I, before I even get into this, and some of the language here that I'm, uh, that I'm using as far as uh, I, I want you to understand, there's nothing wrong with planning planning ahead, planning five years ahead, planning ten years ahead. But my dad said this quite often. I'm sure he got it from somewhere. But you live as if you're going to die tomorrow, plan like you're going to live forever. And uh, I, I, that's how you do. Now, what he's talking about here is boasting of what your plans are when you need to be doing what you're boasting of today. That's what he's speaking of. And it's, it's vital because we, you know, we, our, our known future is right now. This is our known future. We don't know what else is coming. And you have to consider that. You may, and, and I'm not trying to be negative, but let's just be, because if Jesus referred back to this, this is something we need to look at, and we need to look at it very hard. You may, you may not be alive tomorrow. None of us. And you, don't, you do not know what will happen tomorrow. None of us. God has given you today, and you should use today wisely. God holds your future in His hands, so plans should be humble and modest. That's what we need to do. Humble and modest. Tomorrow might bring rain. Be ice tomorrow, wouldn't it? By the way, before I get any further into this, I know what they're saying for Sunday. Just stay close. You know, we're not going to worry about it because all they're saying is a potential. That's what my phone said. A potential for ice on Sunday. That means there is a potential for there not to be ice on Sunday. Okay, so let's just look at it. If there's ice, we may have to cancel. But we're not going to believe that. We're just going to believe that everything's going to be okay. So, so you know what? So tomorrow may bring rain. Tomorrow may bring a loss of a job. I don't want to say this, but tomorrow, it's possible tomorrow, your wife or your husband might walk out the back door. Some of you would probably rejoice. Tomorrow could bring an accident. Tomorrow could bring a diagnosis of cancer or even death. You cannot know or stop any of these events. You can't. Your perspective on life and your future could be changed drastically in just the next few hours. I've only got one person responding to my teaching. Do you hear that? That's Roxanne. Oh, oh, that's not Roxanne. <laughs> You will never have today back again. You remember that. You will never have it. 
And why? Uh, who? Th- let's look at this. If we will never have today back again, who should you love in case there is no tomorrow? Who should you love? Who should you forgive if there's no tomorrow? Who should you thank if there's no tomorrow? Who should you comfort if there's no tomorrow? And above all, what can or should you give God today in confession, praise, or conduct to honor Him if there's no tomorrow? What can you give Him today? When you come in to this place this evening, you didn't come in with the thought that there possibly wouldn't be tomorrow. But if you knew that for a fact, I guarantee that everybody in here would have come in here differently. Every one of us. You know, you'll never, ever have today back. So we need to guard our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. Unless they can cause you, you know, if we don't, they can cost you. They can cost you painful consequences. Tomorrow, uh, they can cost them. Or, or guilt tomorrow, or, or grief for an eternity. A a successful life is a string of godly days that are all put together. That's what a successful life is. Each day I am doing something on behest of the Lord. Each day I'm doing something that is righteous and godly. Each day I'm doing that. And what happens is I begin to put a string of days together, and before long I have a life that's finished. But each one of those days, I have determined that I'm going to do the best I can for the kingdom of God. That I can do the best I can to love my neighbor. That I can do the best I can to just be a good person. To do the best I possibly can. So you never get that back again. God's wisdom says that, that godliness with contentment is great gain, according to 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. So are you, are you living today as godly as you know how? And, 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 and are you content with what God has already given you? This is a way to maximize life and avoid sinful boasting of tomorrow. Because this is when we get to boasting of the tomorrow. You know, do, do not loudly say what you will do in the future. Any significant statement about your plans for the future, humbly submit your life and plans with these words. If the Lord will. And this is God's command for your life, and any other approach is evil. I, uh, I got some scripture, and I forgot to get them out. Do I have James 4.13? Is that Okay, put that up there if you would. It's awful to get old and forgetful. Some of us get forgetful without old. Okay. Come now, you say... <clears throat> Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city and spend a year there and carry on our business and make money. Yet you do not know the least thing about what may happen tomorrow. What is the nature of your life? You're really but a wisp of a vapor, a puff of smoke, a mist that is visible for a little while and then disappears into thin air. That's what tomorrow is. You know, James uh, says it very well there. We cannot presume to reconcile offended parties in the future. You could go to them today and reconcile. Do not procrastinate about any important matters today by the foolish thought that you have tomorrow to do it. What if tomorrow doesn't come? So we have to humbly satisfy the court of heaven and earth today by using our hours today wisely. And today is swiftly going by. Swiftly going by. Life expectancy is based on averages. 
But there's no John or Sally average. In fact, you, you may die young to make the average what the insurance companies say it is. If the average life expectancy is 70 years, according to Psalm 90, verse 10, then, uh, yeah, go, is that, yeah, 90, verse 10. That's, uh, and it says we're given uh, three score and 10 by reason of strength, four score. There are those that die at 20, at 50, and 90 to make it so. So, you know, just because someone says, oh, you know, you're going to have 70 years according to Scripture, and by reason of strength, you may have 80 years. But, you know, we can look at averages. Now they're saying that the average lifespan of, of someone is 78 years. That's what they're saying. They're actually, 78.8, I believe. But regardless, there's still some people that's going to live to 90, and there's some of us that may die at, at an earlier age. It all makes the averages. We can't expect things like this. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what God is calling us for or the purpose in anything that we do. I, I've seen it in many of you that's lived for God any length of time, that you've seen people, good ministers, pastors, evangelists, whatever it may be, that have died at a young age. And as a result of their death, their whole family has come into church. And if you were to, to be able to talk to that person right now, they would say that they gladly died so that their children would be in church today. So, you know, we look at that and we, we realize that there's sometimes purposes and things that we just don't quite get and we don't quite understand. And why are we so surprised by death? And we all are, including myself. But death is a certainty that no man, uh, you know, can, can deny because there is a, there's a fatal presumption of living tomorrow. And all men boast of tomorrow in various ways. And one of the common ways is to ignore death yourself, even while planning on it for other people. Why is it at a funeral sometimes you see so many weeping over that person that's dead there? That person may be 80s, 90s, and they're weeping. They're not necessarily weeping over the one that's in the coffin. They're weeping over the fact that they know that one day that's where they're going to be. So why do we... Why do we, we, we feel the way we do? You know, we look at this and we, we know that, yes, eventually we're going to die. Uh, you don't know. You don't know what tomorrow holds. And you don't know if you will die tomorrow or what else might happen. But you will answer for every aspect of today in the day of judgment. Every aspect. Romans 14, 10 and 12. Romans 14, 10 and 12. Why do you criticize and pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you look down upon or despise your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. All of us. Therefore, the lesson is to live godly and wise lives and submit all plans humbly to God. Everything. God, I'm going to do this tomorrow, if you will. If you will that I do this. What can you do? You should live one day at a time. You should count each day a gift and use it wisely to God's glory. Each day is a gift. Psalm 90, verse 12. Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get us a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number them. Realize that we're not, always, we're not going to have all the time that we think. All the plans that we make, everything, all can be changed tomorrow instantly. It can be changed in the next ten minutes. All of them. So it's important for us to, to number our days. It's important for us to realize that we don't have all the tomorrows that we think. You should live, love God's way so that any loss tomorrow might bring will not disturb the eternal rest of your soul. Business and other plans should be submitted to God's sovereign will for only He knows, only He knows tomorrow. 
confident plans without his submission are almost sinful. Boasting in strategic plans or budgets is only sinful. It is stupid. Such plans sometimes are just mere speculations. That's why we need to look to God for all of our tomorrows and realize that he's the one that's in control. Jesus said, take therefore no thought for tomorrow. This is what I was trying to quote earlier when doing very well with it. For tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. In Matthew 6, 34. So what wisdom is this? And that's precious wisdom. Do not worry about tomorrow. It'll take care of itself. You have enough evil today to keep you busy. You should say, give me this day my daily bread. That's how the Lord taught us to pray. Fools plan on getting right with God tomorrow, but that day never comes. These are always more excuses. Felix, trembling under Paul's preaching, told him, he said, Go thy way for the time when I have convenient season. I'll call for thee in Acts 24, 25. But you know, it never came. You have today to be godly and wise. Do not presume on having another day. Don't presume that tomorrow you'll do it right. Don't presume that Sunday that you'll get it right. You have right now. You have today. You have an opportunity to make everything right with God now. Children and youth foolishly and impatiently presume on many tomorrows, for they crave imagined future pleasures rather than appreciate today. Those of middle age expect to reach old age. The old confidently believe they will outlive neighbors. Such delusions about the future is kind of foolish sometimes. Actually, it could, just, it could venture on madness. The minutes reading what I just read to you, these few minutes could be your last minutes. What you're hearing right now may be the last that you hear. Jesus told about a rich and successful man that confidently planned for many years to come. But Luke 12, 16 through 21, he died that very night. That night he died. God called him a fool for such arrogance and presumption. And, and you are no wiser if you do not use today to please God. Today. One of the best ways to live is to consider today your last day in spiritual things. And, and, and if you knew you would die tonight and immediately face God, how would you live today? Unnecessary variations from that perspective prove you're a boastful of tomorrow. You've got a few hours left in the day. How are you going to live it? Are we going to, to be surprised if we go by way of death? Are we going to be surprised? Or are we going to be surprised if we go by way of the rapture? I know I've said it before, many other preachers have. I know that some, when I first got in church and before that, people used to live every day with the uh, idea. The rapture used to be preached every Sunday night. Every Sunday night. We live with the knowledge, the idea that the Lord could come right then. We live with the knowledge, the idea that at any moment of every day, when I first got in church, I was careful. Every place I stepped, I expected God to split the eastern sky immediately. And you lived accordingly. God, help us to find that again. God, help us to find that again. Proverbs 27, verse 2. Proverbs 27, verse 2. I'm just going to read up here in the Amplified. Let another man praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. King James says, let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth, a stranger and not thine own lips. Obviously, he says it the same way. All right. How do you say this properly? Don't talk about yourself. Oh, 
That was what I got right down to. Don't talk about yourself. Avoid it as much as possible. Though easy to fall into, talking about you is not gracious at all. You'll not grow in favor with God or men doing it. Don't talk about your job. God forbid, don't talk about your health. Oh. I could stay there for an hour and a half. Nobody gets the opportunity to be sick around certain people. You know, you want someone to give you a little pity. And you say, I'm sick or I've got this kind of problem and guarantee you're going to hear everything that's happened to that person for the last 25 years. Don't talk about your health. <laughs> These two guys are pointing at each other up here. I, I, tell you, I better clear his platforms what I better do. <laughs> you know, I, let, me, let me put it this way. I, it, it's okay to talk about your family somewhat. But don't talk about your family to the extent that no one else has anything that they can ever talk about themselves. It's another one. Your house. Your new car. Is that right? I drive my old 2002. Some people in here get new cars. <laughs> they do. They do. <laughs> you know, I've got to have someone to gig. I gigged him for so long about his car. Now I can't do it anymore, so I'll get my wife. She's got the new car. All right. Ask questions about people rather than telling about your situation, your difficulties, your abilities, your blessings, or your honors. Proverbs twenty-five twenty-seven says, Too much honey will make a person sick, and self-promotion or self-praise is also sickening. Here's a, here's a key difference between gracious and odious people. By the way, odious people doesn't mean you stink. I mean, to some degree. Odious actually means an enemy, a foe, or it can mean a hateful person. That's what odious means. So when you see the term odious, I'm not referring to people stinking. I'm referring to hateful people. Actually, the Bible speaks quite a bit about the odious woman, the hateful woman. We know that to be true in most cases. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> All right, an odious woman is a master at slipping in her opinions, her experiences, her expertise, and her presumed wisdom. But a gracious woman never talks about herself. She's always inquiring sincerely about the welfare of others. It is God's praise of you that counts, not your own praise. Look at 2 Corinthians 10.18. For it is not the man who praises and commends himself who is approved and accepted, but it is the person who whom the Lord accredits and commends. It says it very well, doesn't it? It's about what who God commends. Odious people uh, are, are hurt if you do not praise them enough or ask enough questions about them and listen intently for them to tell you all about their lives. This, this incredible, and this is really incredible selfishness, is tiring, it is revolting, 
But gracious persons neglecting themselves and their things are always inquiring about others, always pursuing them, and always praising them. That's the kind of person that is a soul-winning person. That's the kind of person that ingratiates himself to others to the extent where they will be listened to. It's not about the person. There is nothing, and I might as well say it, I've said it a dozen times, there is nothing more revolting than going to someone and try to win them to the truth and talking about all your troubles that you have. You don't go into somebody's home and teach a Bible study and talk about how bad things are in your life. Let me tell you something. I've got the best life that there ever was, not because of me or because of family, but because of what God has done in my life. That's what gives you a good life. Paul said it, put it this way. He said it very well. He said, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other, the other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. In Philippians 2 and 3. He then described Jesus dying in this world as the best case of humility and God's eventual honor in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. True love is defined perfectly in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, where 15 wonderful phrases define charity. Actually, charity is always, uh, is always defined as love in this, this particular chapter. These four phrases relate to this proverb, and it goes on talking and defining what love is. It said, Love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave herself unseemly, and seeketh not her own. Vaunting yourself is boasting, being puffed up is conceited thinking, not behaving unseemly is gracious and courteous conduct, and seeking not your own is being more interested in the things of others. That's what real love is. When we say we have the agape or the love of God in our heart, then that means that this is the kind of people we're going to be. We're not going to vaunt ourselves. We're not going to boast of ourselves. We're not going to lift ourselves up. We're always looking after the things of others rather than the things of our own. That's what true love is. And that's what people are looking for in this world. They're looking for people that are real. They're not looking for something from them. They want somebody who's going to be real with them and tell them the right way to live, to help them to find God in the right manner. That's what people are looking for. Jesus taught, he said, when thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bid thee, and him come, excuse me, and him come and say to thee, give to this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room. And when he had bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. He says this in Luke 14, 8 through 10. So he's, in other words, he's saying, you go and you find a lo- whoever you are. He said, you go find the lowest place to sit. And then when the person who's in charge says, come up, then you come up. Instead of coming to the high place and being pushed down and making yourself look foolish. That's what he's telling him. That's how we are to live. Self-praise or, or boasting is, is only justified in extreme situations of defending an office or the Christian gospel. Moses defended himself against the rebellious Korah and the princes of Israel in number 1615. Samuel justified himself before Israel to condemn them for seeking a king in 1 Samuel 12, 1 through 5. And Paul boasted extensively to Corinth to defend his apostolic office. That's 2 Corinthians eleven ten, I believe, yes, eleven ten and 12. 
As the truth of Christ is in me, this my boast of independence shall not be debarred, silenced, or checked in the regions of Achaia, most of Greece. And why? He said, because I do not love you, do not have a preference for you, wish you well, and regard your welfare. God perceives and knows that I do. But what I do, I will continue to do, for I am determined to maintain this independence in order to cut off the claim of those who would like to find an occasion, an incentive, to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms that we do. Okay, now look at this. He was saying, in essence, he said, I'm independent so that you're not going to think that I am anything above you. That's what he was saying to them. And, and you know, he was defending his independence in this case. He was defending, and where is a proper time to defend yourself? Uh, but, but let's look at this one. Job was wrong, for he had no need for it. Now look at Job 32, not verses 21 22. Do you have those? Okay. And he was talking about Elihu, or see, it's, it's, it's Elihu here. It's, he was talking about him. I will not, I warn you, be influenced by respect for any man's person and show partiality. Neither will I flatter any man, for I know not how to flatter, wasting my time in mere formalities, for then my maker would soon take me away. Now, in this case, this proverb does not apply again to uh, to resumes or interviews or employers need to know your abilities, training, and accomplishment. When David applied for a big job, he went into detail about his feats in 1 Samuel 17. Elihu, where we just talked about, knew he could tell his superior knowledge to the older Job and his three friends, giving God the glory. Daniel and three friends rightly impressed Nebuchadnezzar in their interview in Daniel 1, 17, 21. When you have the right, the God-given right, to give someone, tell someone, because you know just a little bit more of them, that's a different than boasting about yourself. There is a right way of doing this. There is a right way of approaching that, too. The first thing, you, the worst thing you can do is turn somebody off because you know something more than them do, and you jump into it like a, a like a bear in a china shop. You know, you don't do that. You gently apply your knowledge to other people, and before long, people will respect you for that, and they can listen to you. A good name is a noble goal if done for the right motives, but self-promotion is despicable and brings shame. Safety from the sin requires you to examine yourself by the perception and opinions of others. It does not matter if you think you're not a self-promoter. If others think you are, then it's especially true if the Lord thinks you are. You remember that. Well, I'm not a self-promoter. Well, everybody up here says that you are, so obviously you are. Deserving the praise of men is one thing, but trying to get it by praising yourself is disgusting. Timothy and Demetrius had great reputations, and they deserved to be praised. Second uh, Corinthians eight eighteen. I think I got Third John. Do I have that? No, no, I don't have that one. Okay, um, in Third John one and twelve. But one mark these men had, as you can be sure, was a total lack of self promotion. You should desire such a noble reputation, but the only righteous way to obtain the praise of others is to earn it. If men are not praising you, there's a reason they're not praising you. Okay? There is a reason for that. Uh, here's a good one. Avoid backdoor compliments. Anybody want to help me with what is a backdoor compliment? Somewhat. Anybody else? 
That's a backdoor compliment. That's good. When a woman says, "I'm," did you hear that? When a woman says, "I just want you to be busy," <laughs> that's a backdoor compliment. You know, a backdoor compliment, trying to get someone to commend you. I did such a poor job tonight teaching. He would agree. That's the whole problem. He would agree. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. You're trying to get, you're wondering, that, did I really do a good job? Now, see, I never had that problem. My wife always told me right up front, every mistake I ever make, still every mistake I ever make, I get it. But I have also learned that I have been a little better as a result of it, so it does make a difference. It does make a difference. You know, backdoor compliments, which are they're weak attempts to credit. Now, th- this is another thing. This is another backdoor. I, I didn't. I, I forgot. I had this down here. These <clears throat> weak attempts to credit God for your abilities or accomplishments. Okay. Now, 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 follow me. The focus is more on you than on the Lord. Uh, now, this is somebody's going to disagree with me on this. That's okay. You can be wrong. American athletes are famous for this one. I want to thank God for giving me so many abilities. You think about that. It's interesting that the same guy who thanks God on this Sunday's football game, the next Sunday, he loses. What's he doing then? Is he still thanking God? But you know they don't interview him then. Thank God for all my abilities. That's a backdoor compliment if I ever heard one. The bottom line is indirect self-praise, which is never glorifying to God nor encouraging to men. Do you know to avoid it? Avoid, or do you know rather to avoid I in correspondence as much as possible? Must you be called by your job title or educational title even if earned? Think about it. Jesus and Elihu warned against such public pride, especially religious titles in Matthew 23, Job, or Job, Job 32. If all speech comes from the thoughts, i got my mind on a job here. <laughs> Brother Mahaney would never pronounce Job because he thought it was Job. It scared him to death. All speech comes from thoughts in the heart. Can you stop thinking about yourself so much? Look at, look at Matthew. Uh, no, sorry, got the wrong one. Got the wrong one. Do you talk too much about yourself? Are you gracious or odious? How can you tell? And that's easy. How much do others want to be around you? How many friends do you have? Is your company sought or avoided? This measure is painful, but it's accurate. And if you show real Christianity by sincere interest in others far above yourself, people will flock to you. They really will. Parents need to teach your children the wisdom and virtue of not talking about themselves. Teach them the grace of inquiring about others as much as possible. You'll do more for their success before God and men than pursuing the top score in any academic course. You can easily give them assignments to ask questions and learn as much as possible about others. You will help them so much if you can do something like this. You know, religion, if you want to put and I hate to use the term religion. It's mostly negative in the Scripture. But just for the point of making a point, religion has two commands. Love God, love your neighbor. So what's missing? 
What's really missing is, is you are missing. And if you can learn to love others as much as you love yourself, you'll be great before God and men. But this generation is perverse enough to actually teach the destructive heresies of self-love and self-esteem. No wonder people praise themselves. Uh, I realize when I say this, I realize there's a certain point that you get, especially your kids, there's a certain amount of self-esteem you want them to have. But, boy, sometimes we go overboard with this, way overboard with it. And we have to be cautious in how we teach children in some of these things. Notice this. Jesus never raised his voice in the streets. He never sought for others to praise him, though deserving it more than any man could ever deserve it. Look at Matthew 8, 4. That's the one I was looking for. Matthew 8, 4. And Jesus said to them, See that you tell nothing about this to anyone. But go show yourselves to the priests and present the offering that Moses commanded for a testimony to your healing and as an evidence to the people. Now, I know that he had a time frame, and I realize that when he made this statement, he was talking within that time frame. You know, I don't want them to grab me before my time. But also the fact remained that he didn't need, he didn't need people praising him. If you know what God can do in your life, you don't have to tell anybody what God has done in your life. Now, I believe that God does some good things. Testimonies are fine. But be sure you leave a whole lot of the eye out of it and be sure you give glory to God for what he's done. That's the important thing. That's the important thing. So he never had to do that. Questions or comments? Before I go any further, I could start another one, but I, I feel, well, any questions or comments on what I just talked about? And the self-esteem issue, am I too far over on this? Do we need more self-esteem? Or uh, in the fact of, of, do we need to talk about how good we are? And how, how, how does it go? You know, when, when it comes to, to testifying of the goodness of God, can we get to the point of boasting instead of testifying of God's goodness? Is it possible to do that? Go ahead. Good. Very good. Anybody else? Question? Go ahead. It's true. It's a truth. It's true. And that's right. That's exactly right. You know, you, I'm not trying to take away from testimonies. I'm taking away how we testify. And and it's very obvious sometimes um, when people are are trying to get some attention. And one thing's for sure. And I, I go back to my favorite subject. No flesh should glory in his presence. And boy, I tell you what, you sure see a lot of flesh glory in his presence. You see it in music, you see it in singers, you see it in preachers, you see it in so many, so many people. And God doesn't get glory, then you're not going to go anywhere in a church. You're not, a church is not going to go anywhere. We don't need people glory. We need for God to get the glory for all of us. 
to, 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 to feel that way can make such a difference. Anybody else? Go ahead. Twice in the New Testament, the term religion is used. And in both times, it's in a negative. Because religion in itself is, can be false. It can be, you know, religion is just religion. Relationship is what we're talking about. That's the good thing. But religion in itself, and used in the Scripture, it's, it's a negative. Because, you know, when you, see, when you hear the term religion or religious, I think of people with big hair and flashy suits and, you know, polyester prayer claws, this kind of thing. So, you know, and most people do. That's what you think of. Any other questions, comments? Go ahead. I agree. I agree. Well, it, we're more self-absorbed. You know, everybody's about me. It's about what I can get. It's about, uh, and, and that is what's killed, literally killed. The, when I just mentioned to her a while ago, our relationship with God. Because you can't have a relationship with God and be self-absorbed. You cannot. Go ahead. Very good. Very good. Yeah. And that's and that should be our confidence. Uh, that's uh, when you begin to. How do you? And I think this is the fine line. I can't give me to God unless I first get control of me. If I can't control me, then there is no way. Because you know, how do you give how do you give something to someone if you don't have it? And I think that's a lot of it right there. And and so where does that fine line come in there? Where is self control versus God control? Did you think you, let me just ask, I'm asking questions. Don't you think you have to have self-control first before you can truly give God? Anybody? Well, that's right. 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 And you know, I I don't, I, you know, I I like for every service course to be like that, but I like Wednesday night to be like this. I'd like to get 
you know, I like to teach people. I like to see people get a hold of some things. And go ahead. Go ahead. He wasn't willing to go that far. That's right. He never knew you. I mean, that's he never knew a self-willed person or persons. But there again, the disciplines, because it takes discipline to pray. It takes discipline to fast. It takes discipline uh, for us to, to, to give to God, to tithe. It takes discipline for all that. And, with, and without those, I think God, I think God puts this on us. And if we do it, then this when we begin to grow and understand. Go ahead, you have something? Discipline. Control. Right. And and you will find out that within the disciplines, when you learn discipline within the, the spiritual realm, that you'll have discipline within the world. You'll you'll be more successful in the world. You'll be more successful in a job if you learn discipline. And you know, for people, and and if you've been an employer of any kind at any time, you realize especially how undisciplined people can be. You know, they come to you begging for jobs, but then they don't want to work. They come to you begging for you a job. Well, the, you know, would you give me a paycheck and let me sleep in? You know, that's 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 the world. Anybody else? Good. Everything is clear as mud. Good. Good. All right. I'm going to quit because I've got two more I want to do, and I don't want to get into them right now. We're going to talk about next week, wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous. But who is able to stand before envy? That's a great one. That is a great one. And then the next one is open rebuke is better than secret love. I love that one. That's the reason I'm hanging on to these two. Open rebuke is better than secret love. And we're going to, I'm going to practice openly rebuking people individually and see if we can see how they handle it. How's that? <laughs> I'm especially going to rebuke people about having new cars. You know, don't you think? Okay. Stand with me. I never thought I'd be able to give my wife a hard time. But, you know, I'm, I'm able to do it. Oh, you think I'll get it back? <laughs> oh, thank you for your attention. And very, very good and kind, and I appreciate it. Uh, and, again, there is so many things that we can all do to become better Christians better Christians, um, and I, I, God, there's so much um, that I would like to, to grow into to, to be able to, 
to get, you know, to get to, I guess. And, and I believe there is. There's such, a, you know, we talk about when you first come to God, salvation. And of course, salvation is the ultimate. That, that's the most wonderful thing you can have. But after you, you get salvation, there is so much within the arena of, of God's world and blessings in the spiritual areas that you can grow into and, and have a little bit of understanding about that's wonderful. Uh, that's a problem. A lot of people go to school and they spend thousands and thousands of dollars to learn, uh, you know, how to do something, to be business managers, whatever it is that they may be doing, doctors, lawyers, uh, and they continue to learn. You don't just stop. And yet, when it comes to God, you know, we become disciples. And the very term disciples means that you're ever learning. You're always learning. And we kind of cut that off, and that's sad that we do that. Let's raise our hands to the Lord right now together. Father, we thank you for your blessings, I pray, that you keep each and every one. Bless them, keep them, Jesus, safe as they travel. I ask that you would move greatly upon us. Allow your word to so richly move in our hearts, God, that, that we can understand you better than ever before. I ask it now, Lord, that you would do this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Lord bless you.